0: Would you join me in prayer? Dear God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May we be open to you working through us, that you may guide us so that way our actions and our words and our thoughts are all in accordance with doing the goodness that you seek to bring into this world. In your name we pray. Amen. The year was 1930. Joseph Chaco walked between classes on Columbia University's campus where he was studying to achieve his Ph.D. in international law. Already a deacon in the Assyrian Church, an Eastern Orthodox tradition of Christianity, his plan was to return to India after he got his degree and become fully ordained as a member of clergy. Then he saw her. She wore a floral print dress underneath her doctor's white coat and her hair was in a strict bun. Then he heard the voice. This is the woman you're going to marry, it said. No, (laughs) no, it's not, he thought. I'm going to be a clergy. They are celibate. This is the woman you are going to marry, the voice responded again. He was my great-grandfather, and she was my great-grandmother. Stories are infinitely complex. They're used to teach lessons, to remember past events, escape, into other worlds, inspire listeners, develop identities. If a story is good, it does all of this and more. We interpret stories in the Bible as examples of theology, ways of understanding God in the world, and also ways of understanding how we are actually to live our lives in the world. In divinity schools and seminaries all across across the country, Students learn about different methods of developing and studying theology, from philosophies to hermeneutics to exegesis to source criticism Don't get me wrong, all of these things are extremely important, and God bless those who live to do that work. But I tend to be more interested in people. I want to know what's going on in their lives, what matters to them. I want to hear their stories. I believe the way in which we tell stories and preserve them help to shape our understanding of the world, and certainly, our theology. That's what scriptures are, really, stories. Stories that try to teach us what it means to be a Christian and how to live our lives as such. Jesus did this better than most. Through real-life narratives like the parables that Jesus taught or ones contained within the life of my great-grandma Chaco, There is theology to be discovered and unearthed that exists outside of the scriptures alone. In fact, my senior thesis for my Masters of Divinity degree is based upon the power of narrative to develop personal theology. And I'm using my great-grandmother's story as my central focus, and as such, the impetus for this sermon. Now, I had always known some random facts about her life growing up, She and my great-grandfather obviously lived in India because that's where my grandmother was born. She was a doctor. She and my great-grandpa Chaco moved back to the United States at some point when he became a professor in Pennsylvania. But it wasn't until this summer that I started realizing her story more fully and beginning to appreciate the person who she actually was. First, she was a student at Columbia Med School in the late 1920s, as a woman. Whoa. Second, she moved to another country at a time that was experiencing civil unrest and protesting and demanding their independence. She did so as a foreigner, as a female, as a wife to a man who, had he not married her, would have had the highest honor of being clergy in the Assyrian church. Their relationship was interracial, intercultural, and essentially interfaith, even though technically she was a Christian having a congregational background. And not only this, but she was a doctor, a skilled and prestigious profession that was usually reserved for only the elite. And she practiced her medicine throughout the duration in India. These snippets into the past, ones that many of us have about our family or ancestors, can tell us a lot about a person and the life that they lived. My first impression of my great-grandma Chaco is that she was bold, unwavering, intelligent, compassionate, and independent. I think it says equally as much about my great-grandfather, but this sermon isn't about him. And research into the matter has confirmed for me such, because a quick Google search immediately led me to her Wikipedia page. Yes, my great-grandmother has her own Wikipedia page. She did enough cool things in the world to warrant someone taking the time and effort to chronicle her life. And there was enough material for that to actually happen. It was a pretty cool day when I made that discovery. But what all of this research has led me to understand, and it's what I find to be most impressive of all, is that my great-grandmother did everything For the glory of God. She offered what she had to give her specific gifts to be used by God to do good in this world. Perhaps she was quite a feminist for her day, but she chose to practice medicine in order to better lives. And being uniquely qualified as a woman, she was able to attend to women, particularly during childbirth, when male doctors would not have permitted to do so. In this way, she saved many lives and eased the process of child labor for women, babies, and families. She was able to treat diseases that cause sterility, saving marriages and preventing many women from being abandoned by their husbands for not producing a child. In an article I found, my great-grandma Chaco tells of a mother-in-law who is ready to send back a bride to her family And my great-grandmother said, for goodness sake, give me two weeks. Even though the situation she found herself in might be hard for us to relate to today, she was able to offer what gifts she had in order to make a positive difference on the lives of those around her. The Roman scripture speaks to this as well. The translation used in the Message Bible says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for God, because God brings the best out in you. It goes on to say, we are like various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the whole, not the other way around. Since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we just aren't. See, we all have something to offer. In fact, if we don't offer it, Paul is suggesting that the body cannot be complete, and therefore cannot do what it is meant to do. A pinky toe might not be very good on its own, but a body without a pinky toe can't balance. The other remarkable aspect of my great-grandmother's faith that's evident to me is how prayer was at the center of everything she did. She talks about spending the two years that she and my great-grandfather dated in prayer and discernment, deciding whether it was the right decision for them to make. She also prayed constantly while practicing medicine. Women would sometimes walk from over 50 miles away in order to visit my great-grandmother at the clinic. Much of the time, my great-grandmother did not have the resources necessary to treat their symptoms properly. She would give them a multivitamin and pray to God over them. Many times, women would return, saying they had been cured of all of their symptoms. The newspaper article depicted her daily work routine beginning with long prayers, and as she would go about her day, feeling the pulse of the baby and checking their weight, she would continue praying. She is quoted by saying, I am only an instrument by the hands of Jesus, and I carry out his will. She persevered in prayer, as Paul suggests in this Roman passage, to do. It seems to me that she believed being in a constant state of prayer, constantly being connected to God, that she was able to be used more fully to do God's will. And I think that makes a whole lot of sense. Think about the person who knows you best, in the entire world. Perhaps a spouse, a best friend, a cousin, a family member, a sibling, parent, whoever it is that you feel knows you like nobody else does. How did that relationship become so strong and meaningful? At some point you likely allowed for that person to enter deep into your life, deeper than most. You shared secrets with them, or you let them see you at your most vulnerable, or you called upon their friendship first to celebrate an achievement. What would our lives look like if we had the same kind of relationship with God? What would our world look like if we opened ourselves up and offered what we had to give to God on a regular basis? How might our gifts be used in order to make the world a better place? I don't think my great-grandmother was exceptional on her own. God is the exceptional factor at the core of her story, and her willingness to be used by God through her individual gifts, that is what Paul is calling us to do as Christians in this passage from Romans. But it wouldn't be Christianity if there wasn't a plot twist and something that called us to seemingly go against human nature now would it? In the second half of the scripture passage, which is subheaded the marks of a true Christian, Paul also says to love from the center of who you are, to make friends with nobodies. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you to get along with everybody, do so. And probably hardest of all, bless your enemies. If taken literally, Paul is calling us to love those who commit acts of evil in this world, like the one seen on Friday in Paris. Are we to discover beauty in extremists who seek to destroy life rather than respect and value diversity? Are we to actually bless members of ISIS? It was kind of a cutesy and kitschy sermon up until this point, wasn't it? But that's the thing about life. You never know when something is going to blindside you. It can make being a Christian and believing in these things called forgiveness and radical love really hard to believe in. When events like Paris and Beirut and Baghdad and Syria and the school shooting in Garissa in Kenya happen, let alone all happen in one week, how can our faith speak to such atrocities And is this what Paul really had in mind when he said, "'Bless those who persecute you?' I think our faith can make a difference. And I think it's in the way in which we relate to each other, as Paul describes. It's in the way we raise children with love and care and teach them the importance of giving that love back to others. It's in the random acts of kindness, like paying for a soldier's dry-cleaning bill. It's in recognizing the humanity in that homeless person talking to themselves on the street corner. It's in the everyday, ordinary life, in the sleeping, eating, the going to work, the walking around life, that we can make a difference. By treating each other with love and compassion, showing kindness and mercy, allowing God to use us through our gifts, we send ripples of goodness out into the world on behalf of God that I believe outshine the bad. It happens by responding to the needs of those around you, like the open door social media campaign, campaign in Paris, or people standing in line to donate blood as they also did here in Boston, or the man who wheeled a piano to the outside of the Bataclan Theater in the wake of the violence and played John Legend's Imagine, offering what he had what he had to give in order to provide a moment of music and peace. It's in responding equally to those affected by violence in predominantly white areas as to those in black, black, or black, Arab, or brown areas, dismissing the notion that these people are somehow less deserving of attention or need because their region is just like that. It's in never turning. A human being away even though there aren't enough medical resources to treat them properly. Those seemingly small acts in which we value each human life as a member of the body of Christ, as that stabilizing pinky toe, or better yet as a vital organ without which we have no collective heartbeat. That's what we can do and that's how we are called to be the church those goodly forces, those godly forces, will prevail. Good over evil, life over death, love over hatred. The last verse of Romans chapter 12 effectively states this, don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. But it does have to be a conscious decision on our part. If we offer our gifts whatever we may have to give, for the glory of God and let God use us fully for the betterment of this world, then we can truly be the diverse and faithful church that Paul encourages us to be. In doing so, we are able to help shape and preserve the story of what it meant to be a Christian today and how we chose to live out our faith for future generations to come and learn by our story as well. Amen.